Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone age 25, young woman waiting for a bus on a rainy November night. Not a very imaginative type is Miss Barnes, not given to undue anxiety or fears, or for that matter, even the most temporal flights of fancy. Like most young career women, she has a generic classification as a, quote, girl with a head on her shoulders, end of quote. All of which is mentioned now because in just a moment, the head on Miss Barnes's shoulders will be put to a test. Circumstances will assault her sense of reality and a chain of nightmares will put her sanity on a block. Millicent Barnes, who in one minute will wonder if she's going mad. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, a to Z here. Well, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, greetings from the fifth I dimension. You were stuck in the fifth dimension, I thought. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Maybe. We'll be discussing uh, episode uh, 21, Mirror Image. Um, as we go through this, I know Eric and me will have difference of opinions on this episode. Uh, Possibly. A lot of stuff that I found, some tidbits, um, some, some things that Eric may not have thought about. Uh, so I can't wait to dive into this. So, Eric, let's take it away. All right, let's do it. Uh, mirror image. This is the Twilight Zone of season one, episode number twenty-one, and it was directed by John Brom, and it was written by Rod Serling. Uh, the first original air date was on February twenty-six, nineteen sixty, and I don't have any music uh, section under this particular episode. 
partly or largely probably due to the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of music other than the, the, the sound effects of the rain falling at the bus station and maybe some um, crescendo type music leading up to, to high points and scenes. There wasn't a whole lot of music in this episode. And that, that's another unique distinction about this episode. So, uh, Jimbo, do you want to take the cast? Because that's pretty much it on the, uh, the basic facts. Absolutely. Um, this has one of my favorite actresses in it. Um, I think she is just a beauty, and I think that her acting skills are fantastic. And that is Miss Vera Miles. Um, she plays Melissa Barnes, which obviously I'm going to like her because she has my last name. But not only that, but she was in one of the the second episode that uh, Terrence and I ever did on a movie in Psycho, uh, where she played Lilla Crane. Um that's another fantastic movie, and her acting there is abs- uh, second to none in that, too. But she was also in uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, where she played Hattie, or Haley Stead- Stodman. Stedman? Stodman? I can't read my own handwriting sometimes. But I know Eric has found some other things about her. He'd like to dive in a little bit to her. So, Eric, what else was she in, or what has yeah. she accomplished in her career? Yeah, absolutely. She was a beauty, and uh, it makes sense because she was born in uh, Boise City, Oklahoma, and she has attended a school in Pratt, Kansas, and Wichita, Kansas. And she actually was, uh, she actually won the title of Miss Kansas in 1948. So she was a beauty queen. Not only was she a wonderful actress, she was a very lovely uh, lady. Um, she actually, as Jimbo kind of talked about a little bit, she caught the eye of Alfred Hitchcock, and um, she also. Uh, caught the uh, attention of several other directors, but that act, so in so much that they actually dubbed her the new Grace Kelly. And uh, I think Jimbo said that she was in Psycho, but she also was scheduled to play in Vertigo, but she with uh, Jimmy Stewart. But another great movie, by the way, which mm-hmm. I think you covered Vertigo or at one point in time. Um, but 10, she, I yeah, okay, good. And she had to withdraw from Vertigo, I guess, because. Um, she was pregnant, and she was actually replaced with Kim Novak, which uh, she went on to do a great job in that movie as well. And you mentioned The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and there's a whole slew of other movies and TV shows from the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, she starred in a movie with Bob Hope called The FBI Story, uh, a movie called Backstreet, which I haven't seen either one of those. The Backstreet was in 1961. And she was in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour TV show, obviously The Twilight Zone in 1959, The Outer Limits in 1963, Columbo in 1971, Murder, She Wrote television show in 1984. Um, so, yeah, on and on and on we could go. I mean, just just a really amazing actress. And just for the record, that was a Backstreet the movie, not the Backstreet Boys, the singing group. Just to clarify <laughs> Thanks. In case anybody was confused. There Thanks for that clarification. <laughs> All right. Also in the cast, we have Martin Milner. He plays Paul Grinstead. I thought he did a superb job in this as well, but uh, his main acting role came from a movie called Route 66, which he's probably most famous for. Uh, Joseph Hamilton. Uh, this this guy in this 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 episode is one of my favorites. Uh, he's the ticket agent. Um, he's played a lot on the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, so that's why he kind of looks familiar if you've ever seen the Andy Griffith Show. He's in it several episodes. Uh, Naomi Stevens. Uh, she was the washroom attendant. Uh, she played in the movie The Apartment. 
Uh, I believe that's uh, Jack Lemon. Um, Mrs. Mildred Dreyfus is who she played in there. Uh, Teresa Lyons uh, was the old woman sitting at the bench. That She was in The Music Man. Uh, Ferris Taylor, uh, he was a passenger. And Edwin Rand, who was the bus driver, he was in a great sci-fi show called Tarantula, which if you've ever seen it, it's about like 100-foot giant spiders. Um, it's pretty good. So the synopsis of this is very simple. And, you know, with this episode especially, they didn't really do a lot of scene changes. Um, it was mostly focused in one room. Um, yep. The bus depot. Creativity, yeah. Perfect. Um, but it's about a lady who is traveling to a new job in Buffalo, encounters herself in a train station. Yep. And uh, this might be a good time to bring up... Um, Actually, it's a... It's a bus station, not a train station. Sorry, it's it's technically a bus station. She's waiting. Right, on the bus, so right. Um, this might be a good time to bring up a, a word that's going to come in. Well, no, I don't think it's actually named in the episode, but um, oftentimes used in um, you know our culture today is the word doppelganger, and it's a German word that literally means double walker. Is it's biologically unrelated, a lookalike, a double of a living person in fiction and mythology a doppelganger is often portrayed as a ghostly paranormal phenomenon and is usually seen as a harbinger of bad luck other traditions and stories equate a doppelganger with an evil twin in more modern times the term twin stranger is uh, occasionally used so the word doppelganger is often used in a more general neutral sense uh, and used as in slang and other things like that. So that leaves this question for me, Jimbo. Do you Have you ever experienced this phenomenon? Have you ever seen a doppelganger before of yourself and have been taken aback you know, by it? You know, I had always heard that uh, people have a twin in the world. Um, I was at work one day, and this guy came over, and he said, Hey, come here. He said, Man, you look like somebody I know. I said, What? He's like, Yeah. He said, I'm about to pull up a picture, bring a picture in and show you. And he pulled it up, dude, and it looks just like me. Really? I, mean, I didn't know there was two two of the most handsome men in the world in the same room. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, there, it can't be right. There's two of us that are beautiful. But, uh, yeah, I've heard that. Um, something else, uh, you ever get the feeling of deja vu? Uh, oh, yeah. Like you've done something and you've done it before? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely got that. About parallel universes. Uh, like um, the TV show Fringe, um, basically there's a whole another uh, side where you're doing the exact same thing in another universe. Um, very interesting, very, very weird to think about at times. Uh, but before right. we get uh, too much further, let me tell you a little bit about this, uh, how this episode came about. It actually comes from Rod Serling on one of his real life experiences. Uh, he was actually. Uh, Pitching the uh, when he was talking to a Dutch television station, he claimed to have gotten this ideal for mirror image following an encounter at an airport. Searling noticed a man at the other side of the terminal who wore the exact same clothes and carried the same suitcase as himself. Searling considered what would happen if the man turned around and was revealed to be a duplicate of himself. However, the man turned out to be a younger and more attractive version of him, as he has stated. So, um, all right. I mean, what would you, what would you do, Eric, if you got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something, and you walked in your bathroom? There you are. Well, what yeah, I I have a lot of questions, and I'll save the questions for the end. 
Um, but I don't, I don't know what I would do. Um, yeah, it's sort of this paranormal phenomenon that, that seems to take place. And there, I think there are actually websites that you can go to and you can look up, um, some are mythological stories. I think some are just, uh, you know, stories and folklore and tales about people having doppelgangers and, and there's a lot of, you know, questions that surround it. Um, but yeah, that would, that certainly would be, uh, something that would be really strange to experience. Uh, I haven't experienced it myself personally, but yeah. All right, let, go ahead, jump in. Let's, let's talk about it. All right, let's jump into this episode. Let me get going here. Uh, again, just, just to kind of follow the plot, we, we kind of open at the bus depot. Uh, it's raining very, uh, very heavily, thunderstorming. We uh, come inside the bus depot and we meet our main character, Millicent Barnes. I think Rod Serling starts his narration fairly, fairly early in the uh, in the episode, which was typical in season one. Uh, he sent he tended to stick to more of a, uh, a stricter narration. You know, it normally was very early in the episode in the first season. Um, we meet Millicent Barnes, our main character, and she is a private secretary. We come to find out and she is traveling to Cortland, um, for a new job. And she looks, uh, at the wall clock and notices that the bus is late. So she approaches the ticket agent and asks him when the bus will arrive. And he is, he, you know, guffly complains, that this is her third time asking and he is just really getting irritated and she doesn't know why it throws her for a loop bite. And he tells her, you know, this is the, it was 15 minutes late, 15 minutes ago. When you asked, it was 30 minutes, you know, ago, it was late 30 minutes ago was, you know, he goes through this whole litany and she's just like, no, this is like the first time I've asked you what time or when the bus was going to arrive. And, you know, he basically tells her, no, you've been up here three different times. And she's just puzzled. Like, no, this is the first time that I've been up here. And then she notices after a while that her bag is the same bag that she's using has been checked and it's behind the ticket clerk's counter. And And she looks back. Yeah, go ahead. Even has the same broken handle like taped up on the baggage too. So yeah, it, the, it is. She's like, it's it's the exact same bag. You know, it, it's really peculiar that this exact same bag's here. It even has down to the broken handle. Yeah. One thing about the ticket agent I was going to throw in, he kind of sure. reminds me of. You're a dad too, so it all it reminds me of when you you were your kids were younger and they would yeah. keep asking, "Well, why, why, why?" Okay, well, I've answered this a hundred times because I'm the dad. I, dad, I said so. You know what I mean? Just yeah, he's got yeah. that attitude of like, "Look, lady, you're bothering me. I just want to sit here and read my newspaper. You know, I, you're you're bothering me." Yeah, and I thought. I thought he was just played it perfectly. I mean, because in my mind, I flash back to when my kids were young, and they would just be like, you know, you know how they just go and go and go and go and go and go. You're like, you've asked this, you've asked this, you've asked this. And yeah. Stop. <laughs> let me have a let me have a moment of silence. Let me breathe. Yeah, for sure. It always, it reminded me of when my kids and I were on long road trips, and it's the Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? It's like. No, it's only been 30 seconds since you asked me. Has the we're car still... has the car stopped? Have we <laughs> yeah. stopped? Have we gotten out at our destination? No, we're obviously not there yet. <laughs> right. So I can totally relate to the the ticket agent's uh, frustration. You know, assuming the fact that he's seen this 
well, we're, we're going to, it's already been revealed, I guess, that there are two uh, Millicent Barnes and, you know, her doppelgangers in, in the bus depot with her, which let me, let me ask you this question because this came up. Okay. If the ticket agent, and this comes up later in the quote unquote powder room, when she's in the powder room, if the ticket agent can see the bag that's behind the counter. And then if you notice in that scene, she turns around to because she's confused. She sees her bag behind the counter and she turns around and then the camera pans to the bag that's sitting by the bench where she was just sitting. Can the ticket counter person, can he not see both bags? That's... Let me ask you this question. While you're, while you're asking this question, let me ask you this question. Okay. When she gets up and she goes to the washroom, okay, yeah. and she, remember the door opens and she sees her, herself in the mirror sitting at the bench. When she comes out later in the episode... She talks to the old lady and she says, hey, have you seen anybody else in here? And they're like, no, I haven't seen yeah. anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. So is it where they can – If is it where the doppelganger – when they see the doppelganger, they can only see one at a time. So – Yeah, that's you know, my question. I don't know. I, like, I think so. I think it's only where they can see one at a time because – uh, even though she could see him because it is her doppelganger, I don't believe that anybody else could see her at the exact same time. That's why you never see her both simultaneously in the washroom or simultaneously in the bus depot, simultaneously on the bus. Right. Well, that makes sense that she can see both, but that other people can't because I'm going to go back to the washroom scene. If you were, I were getting ahead here, but that's okay. We're going to talk out of order a little bit, but th- this this was a question in my mind throughout this whole episode because, you know, other people can't seem to see the dot both at the same time. And that makes sense. Your explanation, because I'm going back to the washroom when she goes to open the door and she, her back is faced into the door frame and she sees her doppelganger in the mirror. If you remember the washroom attendant is facing Millicent Barnes and she's talking to her and so she's facing the the lobby of the bus station. So why couldn't the washroom lady attend it? She see she could see both of them are in her plain clear view. Why couldn't she see both at the same time? But your explanation kind of makes sense as to why right. she couldn't see. You're getting ready, you're getting, you're getting ready <laughs> to make me dive into what my my end statement right here right now because okay. there's something early in the episode that I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there because this is going to throw you for a loop. All right. When she goes up to the ticket counter for the first time, okay, and she's talking to the guy, and she's like, um, the last time I asked, if you look behind her, to the left, lit up, is dies, D-I-E-S, dies. Okay. It's okay. basically, I think, where it was the ladies' room, I think, and the L.A. was cut off. Okay. So my question becomes, is Was that on purpose? Not- well, is this not a doppelganger episode, but this is maybe stuck in like a purgatory? Oh, I see maybe, what you're saying. Maybe it's not a doppelganger. Maybe maybe there is some other things showing up in the throughout this episode where it's not the whole doppelganger episode. It's maybe something totally different because of the subtle hints that you okay. see throughout the episode. I didn't catch that. That's, that's something that's uh, interesting. Huh. Well, before we get too far down the rabbit hole, uh, let's... I guess maybe progress along the, the, the timeline of the episode. Um, so there, she's really, 
having a, an issue with the bag. Um, at first she comes up to ask the ticket agent, you know, about the timing of the bus and why it was late. Then she comes back up to bother him again about her bag. And she's like, well, what's that's my bag, but I never checked my bag. And then, you know, he gets more irritated and he's like, lady, what is your problem? And then she, she turns around and then her bag that was just by the bench is gone. And so, um, you know, we have the the issue of the, you know, the missing bag, the, the, the reappearing bag, uh, you know, over and over. The ticket agent just is just like, leave me alone. Let me let me uh, watch. Let me read my magazine. Excuse me. And he's like, you'll know when the bus gets here because you'll hear a loud engine. It'll pull up to the door. A bunch of people will get off. And that's how you know the bus is here. And he basically is really curt with her and tells her to go sit down and shut up, basically. Um, and then that leads into the next scene that we kind of already covered a little bit where she goes into the washroom. Uh, the washroom attendant lady, I don't I know you mentioned before, Jimbo, that she played in a couple of she was really good in this. I know it was a really small part, but I thought she played a really good part in the the wash as the washroom lady and um she asks uh millicent barnes are you all right miss and she was like yeah i'm fine like why wouldn't i be fine and and then they have a conversation and she was just like well when you were in here before uh something 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 and she was like in here before i've I've never been in here and she really kind of gets millicent kind of really gets indignant with her and it's like you know i've never been in this this is the first time i've been in this room and and, uh, you know, they have a conversation and that leads up to the point that we just discussed, uh, really probably wouldn't you call it like the climax, maybe of the episode where, uh, the uh, ladies room well, door at opens, least, at least the, the, the plot, the plot just picked up right here, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It definitely starts to increase in, you know, speed and intensity and she goes to open the door, turns her back and then looks into the mirror and she sees her twin sitting on the bench behind her. And uh, so that's where we get the first indication of the doppelganger. So we'll move on from the, the washroom scene because we've kind of already talked about that um, a little bit. And the next scene, as we follow along, she goes back to the bench and she's just, Millicent is completely confused at this point. And she starts thinking, remember, she starts thinking thoughts in her head, like, am I going crazy? I don't have a fever. I don't, I'm not sick. Like, is this all delusions? Is it, you know, stress or anxiety? And uh, is this where she approaches the the older couple on the bench, right? The bench that's Uh, like adjacent to her. And she asks them, did you see anyone sitting in my seat? And the older lady says, no, I, I really wasn't paying attention. Well, and they're both kind of asleep. So it's yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, well, I thought I saw someone that I knew. And then the lady, the older lady's like, well, in here, there's only like three people in here. How could you see someone that, you know, you knew kind of, she's sort of bewildered. All right, and I'm gonna ask go you ahead, Jimbo. Yeah, yeah. When she, when she leaves, when she leaves the the couple, and she goes and sits back down. If you look in the background, the suitcase is not behind the ticket counter anymore. Right, it's back by her bench where she back was sitting again. Bench. Okay, right. so what's the meaning of that? What, what do you think is the underlying? <laughs> is 
Is the backpack only, or is that, sorry, not backpack, suitcase only visible when her doppelganger is present? The other one. That, you might have just hit on something. That's that's really, me, uh, that would explain a lot. You, let me ask you another question. Is the times that we see the suitcase behind the counter actually the doppelganger talking to the bus attendant and not her? Yeah, that would explain. You see what uh, I'm saying? Is, is, yeah. Is as you see Vera Miles, Melissa Barnes, when you see her throughout the whole episode, is it actually her doppelganger in certain parts and her in other parts of the episode? Like, yeah, I mean, two different viewpoints. Yeah, I think that cases are moving around. Yeah, that would explain the the suitcases moving around. And I I did read where they use like a string or something. I read that somewhere where they use it to move the suitcase around on the set, uh, like back and forth. Um, But yeah, I mean that's a that's a great explanation as to why the suitcase is there, why it's not there, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and now as not we, only that, sorry, go ahead. But if it is in a alternate universe, is the ticket agent and the other people in there part of another universe too? Is there doppelgangers there too? You never, you do not know, but they're not flipping out like she is. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, and when we come to the end of the episode. Uh, Paul Grinstead has his doppelganger, but anyway, I don't want to get too far. But we have let's try to stay yet. on. So, yeah, let's try. To, well, we're going to meet him right now. He he comes into the bus uh, sta- uh, bus depot, bus station, whatever, and he uh, introduces himself to Millicent Barnes, and he says that uh, his flights was all canceled, and he's trying to get to where was he trying to get to? Was he trying to get to Buffalo? Buffalo, I do believe. I think it might have been Buffalo, uh, one of those New York cities that are mentioned uh, along the route. And anyway, he, he he couldn't get on an airplane, so he had to take a taxi from the airport. And the taxi slid off the road and hit a tree about like a mile from the bus depot. And he has to walk in the pouring rain to the bus depot, so he's completely soaked. He sits down, he talks to Miss Barnes, and uh she starts to tell him he asks her which he he plays a really good uh martin milner plays a really good good samaritan here like mm-hmm. you know well, I, at least at the beginning of the episode yeah well because i don't when he's calling his friend to come take him drive him up to where they need to go yeah we'll but i don't there, i don't think he i don't think he was well he could have easily you know been a a dude and taking advantage of a, a, a beautiful lady sitting on the bench, but I, he, he really plays it well. Like he's really concerned about her welfare. Welfare. He asks her like, are you okay? And she goes through the whole litany of the story of uh, how she's seeing double. And he tells her, you know, look, there's gotta be some kind of explanation. There's gotta be some like reasonable, logical explanation. And he's like, look, this is a little too metaphysical for me. All of this, crazy phenomenons and doppelgangers and all that stuff. And he's like, there's got to be some kind of logical explanation for what's happening to you. And he, he really does seek to help her. But I think honestly, I know you brought it up Jimbo, but like at the end where he uh, actually calls the, the police, which we'll get there in a minute, but I think he was really, he just didn't know what to do. Like he was genuinely concerned about her. And I think he even had some reservations, maybe even some regrets after he did what he did and calling because he thought maybe she was mentally unstable and, you know, go ahead. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. In a minute. <laughs> but I think, I think the reason, well, we'll just keep going right now. So basically 
He's sitting here. He's like, there's got to be an explanation. Maybe somebody's here pulling a joke on you. Maybe your twin's here running around somewhere. And she's like, well, yeah, that, that could be it. You know what I mean? So to fast forward this through the, get through the episode a little bit quicker, the bus pulls up and she grabs her suitcase, you know, right there, which means she never checked her suitcase to begin with because it is sitting right there beside her. And right. Like, Let me carry that for you. And, you know, I'll carry that for you. So they go out to the bus, the bus stop or the bus pulls in. And they, she hands him the ticket, and she rips her ticket, and then he gets his ticket, and they rip his ticket, and she looks up, and you, you don't see anything. You just see her like give like this shriek and, and run back inside the bus station. And Paul runs back after her. Uh, I call him, is his name Paul? Yeah, Paul. He runs yeah, his name's Paul. And it fades back to the bus window, and inside the window, sitting by the window seat, is Melissa Barnes. Um, and it cuts to a commercial break. I... This episode has so much going on all around it that, I mean, it's amazing. Um, if you look in the windows of the bus, you can see some other people in there. Um, some of them, uh, man, they could be uh, doppelgangers of other people in the uh, bus depot um, just by looking at them. Um, really? So there's something I didn't really there. pay I can't attention. Really make it, I can't really make it out, but it could be. Um, if you look at them closely, um, so now they've got her back inside, uh, laying on a bench, you know, um, wetting her head down, you know, she's either passed out here or just asleep. I think she's still passed out. And the bus attendants, uh, the, sorry, the bus driver's like, Hey, is anybody going? Yeah, go ahead, Eric. Yeah. Um, basically she sees her doppelganger, just what you said in the bus window and she freaks out, runs back inside. So they come to... Uh, Paul says, look, just go on without us. We're going to take the next bus, you know, because she's obviously in big time distress. And she goes and lays down on the bench and the next bus is until like seven o'clock in the morning. And now Millicent uh, insists that the strange events were caused by an evil double from a parallel parallel world. And she she starts telling Paul like there was something that she read or either heard. She's, you know, on the bench. Uh, laying down and she falls asleep. I don't know if she like passed right. out or whatever, but right. And, but and, one thing real quick, one thing real quick yeah. is when the washroom attendant is sitting there talking to him, she's like, "Hey, look, you're a good man," and she's like, "But I think she needs help." And she gives the old cuckoo symbol with her hand. Yeah. You look behind her. What's it say on the wall? It I says, don't know. I'm not check. there. It says it says check here, and it is right next to the washroom lady's head. When she's going like this, so I think that was very interesting too. Beautifully shot. It just says "check here" in the background, and the lady's going like this. Wow, you really caught a lot of small details there. That's well, that's a good. Trying, I was just trying. No, to that's make, a good pickup. To make sense of the episode, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good pickup. Uh, I didn't catch, and I've watched it probably three or four times, and I didn't catch that. Um, but back to the episode, like where I'm at, she, and I'm on the scene that you just described, Jimbo. Um, Did you see when she wait? Yeah, when she wait? Yeah, I'm seeing it now. Yes, I do see it now. Um, that's that's one of the things that the, the hand motion that she makes was, you know, goes back to why I thought she was such a good, you know, small part, but she did very well as an actress in playing that part. Uh, Millicent wakes up from her nap and she starts, you know, describing her explanation is in this metaphysical realm, you have a double. And then that double doppelganger sort of enters your dimension and their sole purpose is to try to like take you out basically so they can 
overtake you and take over. Uh, do you remember that part, Jimbo? And she starts to describe, you know, right, but, her theory on what's happening. Go ahead. Right, but I think we've 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 overlooked something that is probably one of the best lines of the movie. Once they come back inside and they leave, the bus and the, the ticket guy comes by, and he's like, "Well, I'm going to shut down some of these lights here." And he says, "When not in use, shut off the juice." Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And he's like, "That's what I always say." And he also yeah. has another one here where uh, he he comes up to her or he's talking to Paul and he said, uh, "What's he say?" He says, "It looks like she's got a leak in her attic." <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I just think that he threw the one liners out. The dude played an awesome part, man. Yeah, those were good uh, one liners for sure. Yeah, those those were great. So you know, Paul's confused. He doesn't know how how to help her. Uh, he kind of makes up this story that he's going to call his friend that lives uh, in Tully, and um, you know he goes and has a a private conversation with the bus ticket attendant. And he, the bus ticket attendant, asked him, "Well, aren't you going to call your friend in Tully?" And he's like, "No, nah, I made that up," because he was, you know, Paul was going to try to try to get her to go with him in like um, probably like a taxi cab or something. And then he was going to drive her himself to the, I'm assuming uh, drive her himself to the the hospital or whatever. But instead he ends up calling the police and, you know, uh, she goes into the powder room for a minute and, and she flips they, out in there. Yeah. She's and then like, come, okay, where are you? Where are you? I know you're here. You don't. Want yeah. To yeah. So now, now she really is getting kooky. Yeah. And then, he he's waiting for her on the outside. He says, why don't we go outside and get some fresh air? And at that point, uh, they're like in the breezeway of the bus de- uh, depot. And then the police car pulls up, which like that whole scene, <laughs> I, know, I, I know they had to move her out of the, the story so that they could move on with the story. But like the police just show up and haul her away. There's like no explanation. Well, There's, I mean, it was just kind well, of a, a weird scene. Here's my question. How do they know that that's the lady? Yeah, you know, they did. They just if you watch the guy, the police, uh, I guess it would be the co co captain or whatever, jumps off the side of the car, and just grabs her. I mean, it's not like there. He didn't even look around, dude. He was just like grabs her, throws her in the car. I was like, whoa. Yeah, and he just kind of gives a head nod to to Paul and's like, yeah, we got her. We're out of here. Like, there's no ex- <laughs> right. no luggage. Like, you don't even know her suitcase, the 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 infamous bag, it doesn't get taken. She's she's just get hauled away to jail, I guess because. I mean, for no reason, really, just that she's having a, well, taking, a mental breakdown. I guess the, they're taking her to the hospital. They're not taking yeah, her yeah. to jail. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And she even talks about that earlier in the episode. She's like, "I don't want to tell you because uh, you might want to move away to another bench, or, or you know, you might want to call an ambulance or call the cops or something." You know, I guess this is the the late fifties, early sixties. So, I mean. I don't know. I don't know if that's how they did things back then. They just kind of threw you in the loony bin back in those days. You know, there weren't a lot of uh, mental health professionals, let's just say, back right. in those days. And and let, let, let's let's take a look, uh, look at Paul's character. Let's he's truly a gentleman this entire episode because absolutely he could he could have got on the bus and left her. Yep, uh, just left her. But number two, um, he stayed with her. You know, the ticket agent turned out all the lights and everything. That could have been a very dangerous situation for a beautiful lady like that. Yep. Even in the 50s or wherever this is said. I just think that that was great. So. Yep, for sure. So we're approaching the end, right? Paul's by himself in the bus depot. He's going to wait on the 7 o'clock bus. 
the ticket agent has turned all the lights down and then lo and behold, Paul gets up to get a drink of water and lo and behold, his bag that he had just sat down by the bench is gone. He looks to the door and he says, hey, he sees a man with a suit on back to him, runs out. Hey, hey. And then we come to the climactic end of this episode. He's running after what we now surmise or we can see is his doppelganger running down the sidewalk and he is yelling at him from behind. Now, does this doppelganger look anything like Paul Grinstead to you? That's my first question. I was going to ask you a question. I was like, it, he's got like blonde hair. It, it does mean, not look like maybe. him at all. I don't think it is him. I think How it's, do, it's, it's got to be a double. Uh, you yeah. know, it actually has to be a double because either that or they dyed the guy's hair and he played two parts. But I was, I kept, I paused it. I kept rewatching it and I was like, this is not his doppelganger, but if you see him running away, he's got like a little smirk on his face too. You know what I mean? Which is right. kind of laughing, like ha ha. Right, you know? right. That was the. Yeah, I wonder. I'm curious to how. Maybe it's in your book that you just uh, purchased, but how they shot that. And I mean, if it was supposed to be his doppelganger, it was really poorly casted because. It did not, in my opinion, it did not look like him at all. <laughs> and I don't know what, you know, technical things were available at that time to where, you know, you couldn't shoot like a kind of a mirror image in the camera. You know, a lot of the computer but they, but they generated stuff. The, but Sorry. they did it earlier in the scene with Melissa sitting in the mirror of the, the, the thing. Yeah, but so they set up, they, couldn't do that. they set up the shot in a mirror. So, I mean, maybe they had more latitude and. And being able to set up those shots as opposed to that ending scene where I don't know. I don't know how I'm be curious to see how they did that because it, it it did not look as legitimate, like you said, of the previous scenes look way more legitimate. I think that was actually Vera Miles. She was playing both parts. Right. right. And, but at the end, Paul Grinstead's doppelganger, it was not it was not him playing both parts. Obviously there was like a stunt double or somebody put in there that was, did not look like him at all. But anyway. Yeah. So then he's like, well, where are you? Where are you? Whatever. So the, the episode comes to a close and Rod Sterling gives his uh, information, you know, basically yep. doing this narration at the end of the episode. Um, so Eric, I got a couple questions myself too, but I'll let you start. Go ahead. Tell me your thoughts on this episode so far. Uh, well, I got a couple of questions as well, and then I'll give you, I'll try to give you a brief summary of what I thought. This episode grows on you. I didn't really like it. I thought it was plain and sort of just, the the plot is very simple. The setting is very simple. The, there's hardly any music. It's really just a story, but I'm telling you, the story is simple. The plot is simple, but the acting is outstanding, top to bottom. And there aren't a lot of actors and actresses in it but is so well acted and the story is good obviously and so it, it grows on you it, it does grow on you um but the question i had and we kind of covered this at some length earlier in the episode and i don't want to really belabor the point but my question was can a doppelganger only be seen by his or her counterpart or can it be seen by others around that was my main question that i took away from the episode you know, can the other people in the bus depot see? Obviously, I kind of we kind of answered that that they can't see both at the same time. Only one uh, person at a time is you know visible to the people around them. But obviously, the the counterpart can be seen uh, simultaneously by both the real person and the doppelganger. Um, and 
And I already asked the question, why can't the bathroom attendant see the doppelganger sitting on the bench in the lobby when she's facing the door in the powder room? Both Miss Barnes and her twin are both in view at that point. So that was a continuity thing. Like, why couldn't the bathroom attendant see both of them when the door's wide open? And we talked about that a little bit. And then my last question, and we already talked about that, is why didn't Paul's twin look anything like him at the end? You know, right. so go ahead. Well, here's 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 what I'm taking. I've got several different scenarios that this could could be. One, um, just from the subtle hiddenness of the clothing that's mostly dark by. Uh, the washroom lady, Paul, uh, Vera Miles, it's all dark clothing. And when I seen that thing that says dies in the background, that's when my mind shifted from mm. a doppelganger or a death, you know, a purgatory where you're stuck somewhere, you know what I mean, waiting to go on to your final destination or whatever. Got you. Uh, there's that. Um, is, it a, is it like a Bermuda Triangle uh, where they just get lost in here forever? Um one thing I noticed, here's something I, I just kind of put two and two together. When I saw his doppelganger at the end, Paul's running, and he's smiling like he's having a good time, like he's a kid. I wonder if he's the one that's been moving around the bags in the in the, uh, in the depot. He, maybe he's a joker. Uh, you know what I mean? Then they get he gets his kicks off of uh, moving people's stuff around, seeing them flip out. Uh, maybe they were both just, maybe they're in an insane asylum, and this is just, you know... Maybe both Paul and her are in an insane asylum already, and this is just you know them thinking things like that because the way that this thing goes, um, man, it could go so many different directions, and that's what I love about this. It, it is technically not only a fifth dimension; it's like a sixth, seventh, eighth dimension because you don't know actually what is happening. Even though the plot was very simple, like hey, this lady's seeing somebody, and it's herself. To me, it goes a lot deeper than that. And I've watched this like five times today. And every time I watch it, Vera Miles is outstanding in this. The ticket agent, he's hilarious because I see that even his, his sayings, um, how he reminds me of myself, you know, like we talked about with our kids. Uh, then you got Paul, who I think is an outstanding gentleman. Um, I just think it's very well done. Yeah, for sure. If any paranormal activity would happen, I mean, the setting is perfect. A bus depot at 2.30 in the morning or whatever, if anything weird was going to happen, I mean, it would happen in a place like that. You know, think about it. Because and people are tired. They're just trying to get to their destination. And, and it's kind of a midway point to their destination, which would explain your theory of it being like a purgatory or a midway place or a holding place before they reach their final destination. You know, people are tired, but you can't really sleep if you've traveled at all, you know, and you're just wanting to get home and then weird stuff starts to happen. Yeah, it makes perfect okay, sense. But also, you know, in, when people talk about purgatory, they're stuck there till the, you know, either they do some good deeds or their family members. Pray, prayed out maybe, of purgatory, yeah. Maybe that's why Paul finally, at the end, he got to run away is because he did the good deed of staying there with Melissa the entire time. And that was his final task that he needed to do to escape the reality. And that's why he ran running down the street with that smile on his face. Wow. Yeah, that, that makes that's a good point, too. I mean, we really went down deep in the rabbit hole on this one. It's uh, more complex that's, that's than it Twilight, is on the surface. That's what the Twilight Zone does to you, because I know when we first started talking about this just last night when we were recording, because we've recorded several of these in a row, you were like, oh, I hated this one. <laughs> I was like, dude, there's so much here. I said, I love it. You're like, no, I, well, we'll see. You know, and I was like, no, I was like, I'm telling you that ticket agent, he ranks up there with one of the best performances of season one. 
It just has to. A Veramont. Wow. I, I just wow. Think is really good. Uh, All right. I like him better than what was it, Wickwicky or Warwinkle? Wickwire. Guys, yeah, Wickwire. Last episode. Uh, if they ever did a thing together with them two together, that that thing would be outstanding. I don't know if they ever worked together, but if you could see them two together putting the performances like they did in these last two episodes, <clears throat> it would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. But, so, where do you place this? Place this in your uh, episode list. It's top ten for sure. After I've watched it several times, I, you know, I'm going to start a list actually, and because I'm actually going to make a physical list, and I'm going to for my own, and maybe you can make one, and we'll just rank them. them. Yeah, we'll just keep moving them and adjusting them as we progress through. And uh, yeah, also I just want to throw this in: any of our uh, listeners out there in computer land. Uh, for sure, like send us an MP3 clip, send us an email, insights that we miss. I mean, things. I mean, we're just two schlubs here, uh, plotting through these episodes. But I know there are a lot of people <laughs> out there that have their own opinions and they have their own explanation. I mean, man, send MP3 clips, send emails to the to the tragedy of cinema at gmail dot com. We would love to hear and uh, hear from you and right. tell us what you think. The- the more I watch this episode, the more I like it. I mean, it's it's definitely top tier of season one. Uh, it may be even go up to top five. Um, I'll have to go back and look. Well, we still have to finish season one. Um, but I'm just saying, I just think the the acting alone is so good. I mean, we've seen several episodes where the acting is just like, like those astronauts from the last one. Yeah. Man, not memorable. They don't really. Uh, yeah. The, the, the caretaker was perfect. Uh, great acting. This, the whole cast was great. Yeah, so for I sure. Just. I can't just base it on one person. Uh, so for me, very well done. Well, I Agreed. think that's uh, episodes coming down. Do you got anything last minute you would like to say, Eric? Nope. I think we've ran kind of long on this one anyway. We're about 42 no, minutes. I think so that's the way it's going to go now, especially when you watch it five times, you got, you pick up so much stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, next uh, is episode 22, I believe. And I think, is that the execution one? No, that is no, 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 no. This the is, monsters do uh, on Maple one, Street. Monsters yeah. do on Maple Street, and it's another great one. It's another yep. fantastic episode. So, well, until then, uh, uh, this episode's coming to a close. And Eric, take it away. And that's a wrap. And and cut. Obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomena. Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you find it in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>